The year is 1984. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. This is the podcast and reading club where we go through the Marvel Universe from its origins to today. We are on 1984, part five, the final installment of our coverage of Marvel Comics released in the year 1984. I'm Dave Using, the founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. I am joined today by a man who had to read it. We, we do a clap to sync our audio on these here My Marvelous Year podcasts. Mm-hmm. And this individual who was joining me today, he had to do multiple claps in order to get the, the adrenaline pumping, in order to feel like a real man again. Yeah. Ooh, it's ooh, Zach big, Dean. Big man doesn't need to look at his hands when he claps. Very <laughs> impressive. Everyone's so impressed. That's a little behind the scenes for you here. We did have uh, a brief conversation about those of us who are able to clap without looking. Let's do some time and date. Let's do uh, 10 and 42. Bad, bad clap. Well, I have to do it again. That was such a weak clap. It did not show up. <laughs> I think you just have a weak clap. No, I, I like. I, I missed and I like hit the meat of my hand. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's try. Well, I can't look at something and clap at the same time. Right. No, most yeah. people have a hard time. Let's do 11 <laughs> and 6. Oh, 11 and 6. I, wow. I was waiting for 11. 11 and 16. Mm-hmm. Give you some heads up. That was a good manly clap I just got there. I really I felt was looking, the walls okay, rumble here, on that one. Watch, 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 watch. See? Ouch. Now that's going to throw off my recording. We got to make you clap in front of the live audience next time. And, <laughs> and they can judge you. So, if you too... Are, are have a hard time clapping without looking please us and zach and don't <laughs> and it will uh it will fuel his his you know ego start a and sense group. of pride yeah yeah definitely but we're not going to talk about clapping for most of this we're going to talk about comics the comics we're covering today as we round out 1985 our west coast avengers the launch incredible hulk number 300 a milestone issue we're going to cover a whole bunch of x-men from there, including the Magic miniseries, New Mutants, Demon Bear Saga, and a hodgepodge of like Uncanny X-Men. it's been a while X-Men. since we've been in uh, Claremont land. Yeah, I mean, it, it's when been... we take seven weeks to, <laughs> to do a yeah. year. Yeah, it's been weeks and weeks and weeks, uh, which is which is a weird feeling because this is the era of Chris Claremont written X-Men, mm-hmm. which if you're reading along with us is, again, a read-it-all recommendation from myself. Uh, anything uh, logistically that we want to talk about before we dive into comics? I have one thing, but you go first. Uh, probably by the yes, definitely by the time this is out, my ultimate year is out on our public feed. Uh, okay. We have six six months of that out on Patreon, but after six months, it goes up on a public feed. So episode number one of that should be in your podcast apps. You just have to search for it. It's a separate feed. Um, 
but uh, check it out. It's a good show. I'm, uh, I'm happy with that show. Even though our yeah, first that's where we go is... through the Ultimate Universe all the way oh, through, yeah. reading Shakespeare. every single comic. So if you are jonesing for more modern comics, mm-hmm. uh, getting exactly. out of this this ancient time that we continue to cover here in 1984, uh, the Ultimate Universe starts in the year 2000. So that might be a little more up your alley. Check it out. My Ultimate Year. It's Zach and I doing what we do, but talking Ultimate Comics. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agreed. All right. And, all I well, I mean, yeah, you'd agree. I just said what it is. <laughs> I agree. There was, there was no controversial statement there. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just busting your bees a little. Razzing my berries. I am ra- I'm razzing your bees, too. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Uh, if you like My Marvelous Year, despite interjections like that, uh, we would request that you either check out patreon.com slash my marvelous year for ways to support or please consider rating and reviewing on itunes here's a Uh, fact that maybe would make some people up like get them mad enough to go rate and review us on itunes to go leave a bad review no no. (laughs) i've been hearing uh, there's all this like podcast news quote unquote okay about some show called caller daddy um which looks pretty rough call her daddy or caller daddy i don't know um because I've, I'm also launching a show called Caller Daddy, where it's just <laughs> everyone who calls is a daddy, and we talk about our kids. And mm. we just kind of talk about, like, hey, like my kid's learning to ride a bike. And then we're like, good job. Like, good job, can dad. I, it's very encouraging. What's that? Can I? Can, can you guest star? Yeah. I can talk no, about your kids. Definitely not. <laughs> you can talk about my kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah if, you, if you consider yourself a father figure to someone else's children, <laughs> then, yeah. then you can call in as oh, well. Oh, you don't. I mean,. I met your kids that one time. I kind of think I fit that role now. And and every time Zach meets someone's kids, he does then usurp uh, the father figure status. Or at least I try. Or indefinitely tries. Okay, a little right, too hard. To like when you so showed the- up, when you showed up with a baseball mitt and said, <laughs> and said "Hey, sport, want to have a catch?" I, <laughs> that was as soon as we much. got back to your house, I just pushed by you and your wife, went straight for your two-year-old son. <laughs> okay, so um, that's my that's my new show. I'm going to be launching called Caller Daddy. What's this all right? One? Let, me, let me let me. So yeah, there's a show. Apparently, it's immensely popular. There's like drama, contract drama going on with it right now. That's in the news. It's part of Barstool Sports. Gross. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, you know, I I was definitely a big barstool sports fan at one point in my life, which is probably like the clearest distinction between what what you are as a person and what mm-hmm. I am. <laughs> well, I mean, to, they to have be good fair, sports I, comedy. Uh, they yeah, did. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. Probably probably a few years ago, might have been a different case if I cared about sports. Who knows? I'm a part of my take listener. Uh, yeah, in the yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. There's some people in the Slack who who browse it it's uh let's not get into that anyway the point being point being i've never heard of this show they're in the middle of like million dollar contract disputes i was like how popular are they really i looked them up on apple podcast they have been going about as long as we have and they Uh have 102,000 ratings wow 102,000 ratings so if the idea of a barstool sports podcast called call her daddy having 10,000 times over 10,000 times more reviews than we do you know kind of annoys you the way it does me please go leave us a review (laughs) (laughs) really set your uh set your sights high on your competition yeah we're coming for you call her daddy well and that's always been our goal is we don't just want to be like one of the you know critically acclaimed and respected comic book podcasts we want to be the biggest podcast in sports 
<laughs> that's that's what we've <laughs> always said, and that's mm-hmm. the goal. So if you want to help us get there, uh, please consider rating also, and reviewing. And Joe, I promise if you do so, we will talk about Joe Rogan eventually. just got a $100 million Spotify exclusivity deal. A $100 million deal with them. Uh-huh. I think I think we're I think we got a shot. Who are who are we more in competition with, Barstool or Joe Rogan? Oof. I guess I guess six of one. You know, it's kind of the same. Joe thing. Joe Rogan for sure. I think our our listener crossover. Now that's definitely a cultural blind spot on my end. I do yeah. not know. Uh, I've never listened. I don't I don't really know what it's about. Um, and I'm okay with that because <laughs> yeah, I'm not. spending too much time reading about the West Coast Avengers. Yeah, here let's get into launching that. in 1984 four issue miniseries. This is written by our man Roger Stern, penciled by Bob Hall, inks by Brett Breeding, colors by Juliana Ferder, and letters by Joe Rosen, with edits by Mark Grunwald. West Coast Avengers, it's a four-issue mini. It's all about Hawkeye has been, uh, you know, ejected, essentially, from the government-mandated Avengers lineup, as we read way back when. Mm -hmm. And he is assembling his own West Coast unit. Zach, what did you think of this four-issue mini big picture? Big picture... Uh, the mini was a little dull to me. Mm-hmm. I like the mm-hmm. concept. I kind of like the yeah. idea. I think maybe maybe some of this is expectation, but what I was kind of hoping or looking for was I think the two ways this could play out are either this is the Avengers, but, you know, West Coast. It's just it's literally like just another Avengers team, and here's an yeah. interesting group of heroes, and we're just going to have a fun team comic, which the Avengers have never really been able to nail. Like, not totally successfully, or never really I have. wouldn't call... Avengers fun like ever sure yeah uh, <laughs> pretty serious there, there's moments I like but again, uh, I take usually... that back actually they were on David Letterman somewhat it's recently usually, here. yeah it's usually stuff like that or the team composition roster stuff that I like anyway I either want it to be Avengers and good right kind of like a straight putt Avengers comic or lean into the fact that this is a bunch of like B and C tier heroes and right like they're kind of right. oddballs and maybe I was looking a little bit more for great uh, Great Lakes Avengers here because what this mm. is is kind of like this is the Avengers 2 like a spin-off team of the Avengers and we're just going to be more Avengers and it's kind of just a so-so Avengers. So I mean I think it does so the lineup that Hawkeye winds up compiling mm-hmm. um, despite the inclusion of Puck on the cover who does not join which what? is a I huge. I did not notice that. Uh, yeah he's, his face is on the, the issue one cover which I was like wait a minute is Puck in the West Coast? No he's not. Um, look the lineup that. he assembles is basically uh, Jim Rhodes Iron Man, Wonder Man, um, Mockingbird is with him. They're uh, Clint Barton and Mockingbird. Bobby Morse are a romantic pairing and uh, who else do we have? Tigra. Um, shroud who and shroud is kind of a will he won't he former villain maybe joining so i mean it kind of taps into that b tier not quite a lister Mm -hmm. terror i mean not kind of i mean it does right like definitely like tiger's been on the avengers wonder man's been on the avengers jim rhodes is like the backup iron man Mm -hmm. he's like the biggest star to, to the point that Clint's, like, genuinely disappointed when yeah. uh, when Rhodey reveals that he is... Like, Rhodey reveals his secret identity to show that I think he's a black man in the Iron Man armor. And Hawkeye's reaction to... is not a reaction to the race so much as the fact that, oh, it's not even the original. Because it yeah. means his team is not as uh, star-powered I mean, as he thought. The, the thing is, there, there are a lot of character dynamics here. And interesting, like, there are a lot of things that are interesting in theory to me that I think Stern does not find any um, 
bring any unique voice to or novelty to. Uh, I don't think... I, the thing is, I just think all oh, this is pretty okay. There's not really many interesting choices really being made with where he takes these characters. So Hawkeye is like kind of insecure about having a new team, but then we never really see that evolve in a unexpected way. It's just kind of him being, you know, maybe a, a little too bossing people around a little too much because he's insecure, comparing himself to Captain America a little too much because he's insecure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the idea of um, Rhodey being like, everyone thinks I'm the original Iron Man. I kind of feel like a fraud just because, like, I'm not telling anybody. Everyone thinks this. So, like, him just having that guilt about it, that doesn't come out in any interesting way. It's just kind of talked about and then it's done. I don't know. I mean, I think you would be, I think you would be looking for the same thing that I would be, which is a goofier version of this. Mm -hmm. I think if it was, if it leaned into the, um, you know, non-A-list, didn't make the cut Avenger status, and had them playing kind of out of their depth and goofier, which, I mean, it you know, kind of does, but never quite, um, yeah, you, with, like, I mean, Graviton showing up as this You don't get the villain. underdog feeling. You kind of want to root for them as underdogs, but they're not No, they really kind of just become a new Avengers, yeah. right? Yeah. And, like, yeah. to the point that, you know, they're approved by the Vision by the end of this, and they're, they're a new Avengers lineup with, like, credentials and this and that. Like, I, I prefer if they're just, like, a group of people who didn't make it who are just going to call themselves off-brand Avengers, you know? Like, yeah. like, honestly, I think it would be a great gag if they called themselves something else, like, very close, but not quite the same, you know? The Revengers, like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I, and that's not what this book is. I think, to your point, Great Lakes Avengers is the concept that is going to do that bit of comedy in the Marvel Universe, um, but this is not a comedy book. It is, it is not trying I to mean, be. Like I, you I said, it's also, an Avengers Yeah, because that's not really what it's trying to be. I would be into some of the ideas that it's putting forth here if they did anything with it, but he doesn't, right? It's kind of just like, here's here's some concepts, and you don't get any... Um, like, the extrapolation of those ideas is really generic, I guess. Um, it's I mean, I probably the most... Intre- I, I do like the Rhodey stuff because that continues from Secret Wars. Like, I do... Mm-hmm. Kind of all of his, because it's limited, all of his involvement while wearing the Iron Man armor is pretty interesting to me because it's this kind of bizarre time in Iron Man comics where Tony Stark has fallen off the wagon hard, Rhodey has taken on the role of Iron Man, and I think by the point West Coast Avenger starts, like, Stark is, I think, sober again, but obviously he's an alcoholic, like, that doesn't go away. Um, So it's, I, I find all of his interactions interesting, but he's not, like such a central component of this that I feel like Rhodey has really developed super well here. I do like the direction for Hawkeye. I think as we've gone through the Marvel Universe year by year, we've seen that Hawkeye generally sucks, <laughs> which mm-hmm. has been kind of a hard revelation uh, because I'm a fan. I, I consider mm-hmm. myself a fan of Clint Barton in the comics specifically. Um, but like he's he is developing and learning and getting better as this universe progresses and West Coast Avengers is a pretty crucial step in that where he has to be the leader and he has to look back and say wow I was a jerk to Captain America wasn't I um now that he's in charge of leading mm-hmm. a group right so I I find that stuff interesting like I don't know narratively I don't know that these are the best uh, they do a I decent mean, job with but, Hawkeye learning to yeah, lead. yeah I mean this is not this is not a disaster to read you know I just think it's a real like it's a real six out of ten, <laughs> something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it it works. It's like a six point three. It. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just like you can have these ideas about your characters, and then the way that you sh- ex- the way you show that to your audience can either just be 
your characters think about the things that bother them, <laughs> you know, or you mm-hmm. can express that through action in ways that, I don't know, put put the characters in interesting situations. And this is kind of one of those ones where it's just everybody thinks about their problems in the most explicit, straightforward terms. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it. I think one of the probably most critical things we can say of comics from this era is like it feels like it's still from the era right like it's there are certain things you'll read that don't this, feel this as felt rooted. much earlier to me yeah this doesn't feel like 84 because at some point like wonder it feels man even older like, right yeah because wonder man even even like the language that stern is using here and i looked up stern's age because i was like is he much older is he like 55 and like no he was like 34 when he wrote this yeah um so like because i can't remember wonder man calls tyra like you know lady or like sounds good by me lady something like that and i was like that's weird slang to be using in 84 especially for wonder man who's supposed to be your like hip californian guy you know right like he right i I mean i guess you you can either do that or you can sound like stan lee trying to sound like teenagers i don't know which one's worse but um yeah so i i mean i am stan lee uh, was a young teen I will not hear you besmirch the man's ability to connect with the kids. I mean, the, the idea, he was, oh no, he wasn't that young. He was like in his 30s when he was writing all that stuff we were talking about. Yeah, watch your I, mouth, pussy willow. Some some people really like this in the Slack who also uh, bring it up to, you know, chalk that up to nostalgia a bit. I am curious about the solo series. I might check out some of the solo series at some point. But, You're talking um, about, so so from here, from the mini, yeah. West Coast Avengers is going to go on to have a, a pretty long run. Uh, a vast majority of it is written by Steve Englehart. So if you liked his Avengers, uh, uh, so there is, you know, he's going, <laughs> yeah, well, if you didn't, then there you go. Um, it's West Coast Avengers. It's got, uh, it's got ideas. Uh, it's never a series that has been a huge favorite of mine. I could definitely see nostalgically, like it's, again, conceptually, I like that this unit exists. I think just mm-hmm. like logistically, it makes a ton of sense, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, we should have a unit that can cover the other part of other parts of the country. That has always made sense. Um, so I, I like that fine. But as far as a book, I really want to read. It's not super high up there. Although there's some wild stuff in West Coast Avengers. Um, so it's not, if you're going to proceed with that, we're not going to cover a ton of it in the club. I'll tell you that. So mm-hmm. you're kind of probably on your own there. Um, all right, let's. Uh, unless you got something else to say about your girl Tigra, let's move she, on. She was pretty good. I liked her. She had a couple of moments here. I like, but even her, like who I like and have a lot of affection for. I like that Roger Stern. That's like the one thing Roger Stern and I line up on is we both really like Tigra. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it also doesn't help that the villain here, you know, is like a guy who gravitron, graviton, controls graviton. gravity. Well, it's like he's super powerful but simultaneously goofy. That's what I'm saying though. When like. If this leaned into either direction, the sillier aspects, <laughs> yeah, it, either direction, sure. But like the yeah. sillier aspects in particular, I think would work really well. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah. choose to. So be it. Uh, the next comic we read was Incredible Hulk number three hundred, a milestone issue that I actually really like. Yeah. Uh, milestone issues can, I think, a lot of times not li- they can do too much sort of exposition or just kind of like, hey, it's been a fun ride, hasn't it, kids? Uh, mm-hmm. But Incredible Hulk actually tells a really big story that is the culmination of events that have been happening in the Bill Mantlo written run to date. But I I think it stands fairly well on its own terms uh, because it does have like some future relevance and it's kind of just an interesting thing that we haven't really seen quite this way with Hulk before. So again, written by Bill Mantlo, Mm -hmm. art by Sal Buscema, Jerry Tollick, colors by Bob Sharon, letters by Jim Novak, and edits 
by Carl Potts. I'll say, on this show, I think I've uh, I've delivered quite a few Bill Mantlo blows to the guy. Yes, yes. I like this a lot. This was quite good. Like I, I think this is the best it. issue we've read of his so far. Yeah, I think so. And it made me wish that I had read this before because I would not have put in What If 45 because What If 45 <laughs> basically plays out here in a much more interesting way. You would have cut <laughs> um, cut the Dean's list. You know huh? what? I mean, even, even without this, I wish... I wish I had put in What If 46, which is the much superior issue. Seriously, everyone should go read What If 46. That issue is fascinating. What was the topic again? I know you told uh, me. What if, what if Aunt May died instead of Uncle Ben? Oh, right. It's right. really good. The way that plays yeah. out is fascinating. Um, so yeah, in so, Hulk, yeah, Hulk 300, is... he is rampaging through New York City. And basically, the, the big thing here is Hulk's intelligence. You know, he had become Professor Hulk. Finally, mm-hmm, yeah. right? We had gotten to the point where, like, he tra- Bruce Banner transformed to Hulk, but retained his intelligence, and that has been devolving. We see that in Secret Wars a bit, where he's he's losing some of that, right? And he's getting mad, and as Hulk gets madder, we all know what happens. By the time we get to three hundred, he's the raging brutal monster, right? And he is raging through New York City for all to see. We are kind of seeing him at his most publicly destructive. You know, like there's not there's not a huge like miscommunication. There's not a huge, like, oh, he's destroying things, but there's a reason. It's kind of just Hulk as the threat, you know, and not to go my ultimate year on you, but it's kind of that vision of him that we, that um, Mark Miller and Brian Hitch would tap into in in the first arc of Ultimates, right? He's like, this is a monster who can actually be scary, which isn't to say this comic is scary, but, like, that's the threat. Heroes have to stop him because he's mm-hmm. dangerous. Yeah. In order to do that, the heroes have to come to some new ideas. Before we get to those, Zach, any thoughts in addition to that as far as, like, the way the action plays out, um, like, all the heroes getting involved, uh, anything that stuck with you from that? Yeah, I mean, I think this was really... Su- oh, well, wait, the art's... Which Buscema? Sal. Sal, okay. Um, yeah, really good art. I think he does a great job of being able to, like, draw all these characters. It's really colorful. I think it's really engaging art, which also, not to... Uh, dunk on west coast avengers too much also part of the issue with those comics was that the art was very like about as generic and house style as you could get without uh bringing any flair to it this, this is pretty good and i think that like that um parade of heroes that comes through is really fun and effective in selling just how unstoppable hulk is yeah you know, you right get, i love the iron man or iron fist and um iron fist and power man power man i always yeah. forget the luke cage is power man um yeah, Iron Fist and Power Man come by. That's really good. Like he catches Iron Fist's fists, and like that was awesome. Of, yeah, the impact of the blow is sent back into Iron Fist, like totally shaking him up. He punches Luke Cage through like four skyscrapers. Like he sends yeah. him flying through a bunch of skyscrapers. Thor has a hard time putting him down, but by the time Thor comes in, it's like, oh, all right, here's the heavy hitter. And I'm like, I know what you can do to that guy's neck. Like I've already seen this play out. Right. I'm like Hulk. Watch your neck. Yep. Watch the traps. And meanwhile, Doctor Strange like has some exposition, which I found useful because it explained why Hulk is the way he is now. Because Bruce Banner is dead, apparently. Like the identity of Bruce Banner is gone. He like sacrificed himself to stop Nightmare or something. And yeah, Do- right. Doctor Strange, I love this scene. Doctor Strange is in his Sanctum Sanctorum, trying to find a dimension in which he can banish the Hulk to. And 
there's all these entities from these other dimensions being like, here, please send him here. We'll take him. Like yeah. begging for this, you know, this soul to be sacrificed. And Doctor Strange is, you know, like, you probably don't want him. <laughs> like, I'm not I'm not sending him anywhere to be tortured. But also, you, you don't know what you're asking for. Yeah. Yeah. I do like that detail. I do like the visual, too, fun. of yeah. Strange just sort of scanning dimensions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of got that Avengers Endgame feel of him, like, whizzing through all the future outcomes. Except instead of that, it's like him looking into a a multiversal mirror of mm-hmm. all these places yeah. he could send the Hulk. I mean, I do I do like this idea a lot, like this idea of, hey, let's just send him somewhere he can just kind of roam and be happy and be free and not hurt anyone. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I read the next issue, and that, like, comes down to a place where he can just, like, endlessly fight things. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is pretty funny to me. Um, it, it goes some interesting places, so. Yeah, so, uh, like, so Strange Exiles Hulk two mystic dimensions and the series continues from there basically like it's a hulk in various dimensions story for a lot of issues like for a good long while that is where the hulk is um which i think is both fun and and a cool cool kind of idea there's also if you're if you're digging hulk at this point there are some bilson kevistrong covers of the mm-hmm. series but perhaps more importantly there's like two or three mike mignola drawn interiors yeah, yeah, <laughs> this very early Mignola who's the uh, creator of Hellboy mm-hmm. and a an incredible comics creator uh, in the in the Marvel verse here doing some Hulk so it's not like it's not like you're just straight up reading a Hulk comic but you can see some of that stuff beginning to develop if you and, are accused. and I have heard like if you if you like Hulk and you like this that the Bill Mantlo run is pretty good we've had we have fans of it in the club who uh, who've been selling the Mantlo run so I think it's uh, might be worth checking out yeah, yeah, I really like this. I I like this version of Hulk. You know, like I, I don't know. I have a hard time uh, feeling invested in a Hulk that's totally in control. I mean, I have a hard time investing in Hulk. Period. But like, the most interesting times are when he's borderline control, and the heroes are torn about what to do with him. I like I like him as a problem. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, no, I, d- I definitely prefer when he has uh, some some intelligence and is is crafting his own plans. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Immortal Hulk, notwithstanding, because that's totally its own weird thing. Um, but, yeah, but so, I mean, I guess up to now, I haven't read anything from now until 2017. So maybe there's some stuff in there that would sell me on a Hulk that has intelligence. We, haven't, that, we like, have not seen it yet, except like for the Mantlo Hulk. runs that we skipped. Like Secret Wars Hulk is just a Hulk. Uh, he's just a smart, strong guy. I don't know. That's uh, that, he like, does uh, see a base and immediately estimate its size by saying it looks approximately like five and a half pentagons. So mm-hmm. super smart estimator. Uh, yeah, if the, something is I, I able for, to yes, be measured no, in right. pentagons, I forgot that. Like what the Marvel universe is missing is very smart men. That's that. That's that one thing that we really need more of. Is just well, like, it, super you geniuses. need smart men, but specifically smart men who know the size of government. Uh, um, geometric shapes that are also built cubic feet yeah 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 that is that i would genuinely say that's a gap (laughs) it's an opportunity all right speaking of opportunities let's take this moment to to the bathroom (laughs) you do or are you predicting what i'm going to say oh no i do oh okay you mind if i go to the bathroom all right let's take a break okay so you said before speaking of opportunities where are you going with that speaking of opportunities let's take an opportunity to dig into some x-men comics before we do that What about this? What? Speaking of the Pentagon, the Bloodstone is a pentagram. Oh, pretty, oh, come on! That's like just let at me grab my ten to fifteen times better than your nonsense. I keep for moments like these. Speaking of so little girls lost. 
I'm looking out my window right now, and I have to go. <laughs> She's lost. <laughs> All right. You got to go. Pardon um, me. Uh, no, we're going to talk about Magic, the four-issue miniseries. Now, yeah. this is, I think, uh, crucially titled, like, subtitled Storm and Ileana, <laughs> which I kind of didn't realize uh, in in the moment. But mm-hmm. this is a, a follow-up to, I think it was Uncanny X-Men number 160, which was, it might be, it's either that or 161, where Belasco... And the realm of limbo, the Mm X-Men go there and are like brutally murdered, but that's future versions of them. And as they escape, Ileana Rasputin is grabbed by Belasco. Kitty pulls her out only to find that Ileana has aged seven years. This is the mini that explains what happened during that Mm -hmm. time and uh, how Ileana aged in limbo. It is a it's a crucial piece of X-Men history. Like, mm-hmm. no question. It's essential to where Claremont is going in, like, the broader X-Men narrative. Uh, it is essential to building out both Uncanny X-Men and New Mutants. Mm-hmm. It is also a really surprising turn. I think when you pause and look back and say, 1984, we're nine years into post-all-new, all-different X-Men launching. Wolverine's had a mini. Um, Nightcrawler's about to get a mini. I think, written and drawn by Dave Cockrum. Mm-hmm. Would you have guessed Magic <laughs> would have been like right up there at the top? I don't think many would have, right? It's a mm-hmm. pretty unique choice. Uh, it is also, I think, very, very interesting. Now, when I read this the first time, I was definitely less invested as Ileana Rasputin slash Magic as a character. I just didn't know that much about her. Um, now that I know a lot, I find these issues very, very compelling and kind of fascinating in what they do for building out like her progression her like learning sorcery and just the way she was raised in limbo what did you think of this mini series i I should mention too so it's written by claremont Mm -hmm. it's drawn by john buscema inks by tom palmer colors by glennis ween uh letters by the great tom orzakowski yeah what are your thoughts good art by buscema i like the art yeah um i liked it okay you know i kind of know that this is Big ground light or <clears throat> big groundwork laying stuff. Yeah. Um, for the future of X Men. I think my big problem with this, and this is gonna sound real nerdy, is have you, have on, you this heard yeah. on this show? Well, on this show. Well, I mean to, think to of our degree, and sound cool. Yeah. Do you know you know Brandon Sanderson, the the fantasy sci fi writer? I surely do not. Okay. Super popular fantasy writer right now. And he has like <laughs> I mean he is, he's he's hugely popular, really prolific. Um yeah. <clears throat> But he uh, he has this thing where he's written all these articles about like about writing, about the craft of writing, specifically about the use of magic in writing. And he's got like his three laws, right? And the first one is an author's ability to solve conflict with magic is directly proportional to how well the reader understands said magic. Hmm. And I think that is like the biggest thing that this comic is breaking all over the place is you have absolutely no idea what any of this is or how it works, but is the foundation of all drama in this comic you so, have a little bit so what is the magic in magic yes right like you, what you, is I mean, this you magic get some actually. of it like limbo controls this place he's strong you know and Ileana rasputin is powerful because of something and she maybe can suck power from him but also is possessed by him it's you know it's just kind of a big mess that feels like it could be whatever it wants to be in that moment that claremont decides like either Ileana is becoming more powerful and that's good for um, not Belarus. <laughs> that's a place. What's his name? Belasco. Belasco. Either that's good for Belasco, or maybe it's not, and Belasco is scared of it. Depends on the scene. 
Um, yeah, you know, I don't want to come agree. across to uh, say there, that, like, it's muddled in terms of yeah. the details and that of means the magic. That, like, like also, Storm becomes a wizard, right? Right. And what does that mean? She just also yeah. is now magic. She can shoot rays of things and bring plants to life or not. She talks about like you mustn't break the rules. Of, you know, there's a balance for everything in a place, and it's like I, I don't know what that means. So it just means it doesn't have stakes for me. Like I, I don't feel any of this because I'm like I don't know how any of this works. Things just kind of arbitrarily are happening. You know, it's kind of just like I, I don't, I'm not worried about anyone because I don't feel any tension because I don't understand where the threats could come from. Because mm-hmm. it just could happen from anywhere. I don't want to make this sound like writing is a formula and writing magic is a formula, and you have to follow this law. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know this book broke laws before right, I exactly. before I started reading it. If I had known I'm, it was a lawbreaker, th- I would there have are, sent there it to are, the county of course, jail. Exceptions, and there's ways to do this. You know that don't like fully explain the magic and they work. But also, I was thinking like this is a big reason why Doctor Strange doesn't land for me and magic in Marvel in general is that the magic. I mean, is I guess very... so. Can you can you define that then? Because Doctor Strange is a obviously a bigger example of this. We've had a lot of opportunity to read about Strange using magic. We tend to know like where he's pulling from in terms of the mat. Like, what details are you looking for specifically? No, it's not. It's not about you know how it happens it's about like how it functions right so harry potter is a good example of this where like mm, who, is it though oh okay yeah it's so cool i'm, I'm pretty cool and like it's pretty cool in 2020 to just hate harry potter because jk rowling's the worst i mean she's terrible harry potter's still pretty good like yeah let's not get, I, let's not, i'm the harry away. potter fan here you're the yeah. hater oh i mean jk I'm Rowling playing is your card absolute mess in the year 2020 she is an embarrassment but those books those books are still pretty good jk um, she's just talking about the sexy things that sexy people do i don't know why everybody's got their robes in a bunch t- what are you talking about what are you talking about i'm talking about her tweeting about like i i wish i had written harry potter to know cryptocurrency <laughs> yeah yeah no i'm talking about like when she's like yeah you know dumbledore like huge uh secret fetish guy and then she'll like you know list these things that aren't in the book Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's a joke. Anyway, the magic in those books, I mean, who knows knows where the magic comes from in Harry Potter, but you get a really good grasp on the, like, limitations of that and how it functions, right? Like, they give you really strong structure for that works, and that's why, you know, you feel the stakes of how that plays out. Um, Versus, and then you can have Lord of the Rings is the other side of that, where, like, the magic is not defined whatsoever. You don't really know how any of that, like magic system quote-unquote works but it also is not the deus ex machina over and over again on on occasion sometimes but like generally it is not this like you know thing that is always sweeping in to save everybody and is always their get out of jail free card um i I think that's a pretty good rule i think that's why dr strange yeah like he just does stuff you know and i don't know what he can and can't do he has power blasts are they could he stop the hulk with them or just johnny storm could he you know send him to another dimension sure right yeah, exactly. Um, I guess I don't. I guess this is kind of vague to me. Wait, like I, I think it's a fair criticism what you're describing applied to this book. I definitely, yeah. I definitely hear you on that and th- and think it's very, very fair. I think the bigger picture, like using that to limit magic in the Marvel universe, I'm less clear on because magic is almost by definition fuzzy and outside of our yeah, understanding. Yeah, yeah. Like that is what it's supposed to be. Doctor Strange is the Sorcerer Supreme, so it is not in any way, pardon the pun, strange to me that he can do an exceeding amount of of actions. So why are with you not magic? particularly interested in Doctor Strange comics? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I mean I think there's a reason and I think that reason is that like 
the the drama of those comics is severely restricted by the fact that like you're really just limited to the wonder of the art and the magic right just being like wow this is cool but like not cool in a way where i'm just like you you can't get drama out of that for me and you can't get yeah stakes well i'm trying to think of i'm trying to think of instances of magic that i really like so harry potter Mm -hmm. is obviously a great example i think you're totally right i think the thing the counter that kind of jumped to me though is like i don't know that the definition of magic in that book is 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 crucial to his success so much as just the storytelling and the character work you know it's ultimately what you care about i I think it is i mean most of that is very deliberately laid out what you can and can't do and how difficult it is i mean it's it's based on children learning this magic like, rigorously. So like over. the fact that you literally have to learn these spells, you learn specific spells, you are limited mm-hmm. in your actions. There, There's one way to kill people, and mm-hmm. it's this specific curse, that sort of thing, right? Yeah, and not um, just anyone Yeah, I think that is... that's Those are useful I mean, Game of Thrones structures. is another good example. There's not much magic in that, but it's very, very limited. And it's well, it's very, sparse. Right, exactly. I don't it's know that it's sparse. well explained, but it's sparse. Yeah. No, I mean, it's not. it's not about it being like that you intuitively understand to me. how it works. It's not, you know, like, I understand the source of all magic and I have to understand it on some... It's, it's that you understand kind of the... I want to be able to do it. it. Well, I want to understand <laughs> it to the point that I can do it. <laughs> yeah. oh, were you uh, another another magic book that Harry I really Potter? like. What's that? Were you, were you like a Harry Potter kid who was just like wishing for your own wand? I, was I wasn't. A, I was a Pokemon I wasn't kid. a Harry Potter kid. I, I was Harry. <laughs> I think a lot of people don't realize what a sad state he's fallen into. Just a, a mere comic book blogger in his older age. But I mean, you've seen the scars. Oh my you've god! Seen what it. a w- weird pivot. <laughs> it's not where yeah. I expected you go with that. I thought you were just. Well, it's not say. where people expect the scar to be either. So yeah. you know. Okay. What, what was anyway. the other magic you like? You were saying. Uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Yes. Is a, oh, a novel that is yeah. excellent and I think does exactly what you're describing yep. in terms of like, what is this world of magic? How does it work? This mm-hmm. book, again, ironically called Magic, does not do that. I yep. think you're totally right. I do think that would be helpful um, mm-hmm. in, in many ways to its success. It does just kind of fly around. And Belasco is essentially just like reality warping devil. You know, he can just do whatever. He's got yeah. demons at his beck and call. Um, but somehow Ileana, in learning from him, is attempting to usurp him. Let's get to what actually happens oh, here can for Ileana. Can Ileana. I give one more, one more example of how I think this can work? Sure. I think you can do this kind of, like, wild, outlandish, anything-goes magic if you root it in kind of an outside observer who doesn't understand it also. Like, you have a character that we can, like, have as being our avatar through what the hell's happening here. Right. That's how, like, I think Lovecraft works, right? Lovecraft is these big, scary, outsized things that have no explanation. That's kind of the point. But they're all viewed through a very, very, very mundane lens of just Mm -hmm. everyday average people. So, like, because I was thinking of um, in the X-Men, right, we had, um, what's his name? I keep wanting to call him um, the Moira and Xavier's son, Legion, but it's not Legion. Um, David? What's his name? What's the guy who she had Oh, Proteus? Yeah. Is that it? Proteus? He's not he's not Professor X's son, but what he oh. he can warp reality. I'm yeah. confusing the ultimate universe, yeah. Kevin um, McTaggart, Proteus. Yes, McTaggart, right. Has kind of these wild, undescribable power things, but I think it works that the X-Men don't know how to deal with that and they're lost. They're like just as lost as we are. That kind of mm-hmm. can like salvage some of that for me. And that's why I think actually uh Belasco worked a little bit better for me in the previous ones because I felt just as lost as the X-Men did. And I at least had like, yeah, I could cling to the fact that they are scared and terrified running around this like hell world. I, 
I actually like both of these about the same, but for different reasons. But I think that one, the uh, the first one's pulled that off a little better. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I, I think this is more historically important than it is a knockout or anything like that. Yeah, sure. um, it's not like this. I, I think it's this incredible four-issue mm-hmm. mini, um, but it is it is and does become important. Uh, Belasco, his whole deal with Ileana is basically he wants to corrupt her soul in order to help him free the what do they call them, the Elder Gods, from some, like, dimensional trap. So with there's Limbo, where they all exist in this realm that Belasco rules with a, a demonic thumb, and then there's these Elder Gods beyond that. Belasco wants to fill the Bloodstone Amulet with, like, five drops, <laughs> five special drops of blood, and then that will free the Elder Gods, who will then, like, take over... I, if not just the world dimensions, I don't know. Definitely Earth at, at at to start things off, and then Belasco thinks he'll get like more power mm-hmm. from there, right? I think that is like ultimately what the story of <laughs> Belasco yeah. in Iliana is. Uh-huh. Um, and in this realm, as you might remember from Uncanny One Sixty, Storm and Kitty versions of them, like mm-hmm. from the future, are still trapped there. The Storm version is much older don't and has become a wizard. Call her Kitty. And And the cat version, pardon me, (laughs) is a very feline, very Tigra. Did you like this? I I was like, this is leading into that thing Dave likes where people just take their own names way too literally. They're animals. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she does look like a cat and has a tail now. She does, but we don't know that for a while. So, uh, like, Eliana calls her kitty and she's just like, kitty's dead. Call me cat. And I was just like, oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think I'd prefer it. If uh, the kitty that we know in the X-Men universe just started, like, lapping up milk, like, on the floor <laughs> in the X-Mansion, everybody yeah. was like, oh, no, she's going through a cat phase. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as it stands, things don't end great for cat. But basically, like, Aurora was like, hey, Ileana's here. She's seven. I'm going to try to train her in the ways of the Force. Um, and, uh, and, and then Belasco's like, no, I'm going to train you in the dark side. And that's the conflict, right? I mean, that's... Yeah. That's basically what happens throughout this. And Ileana, in her own due course, um, she's she definitely feels a weird pull towards Belasco. Like, Belasco... And again, like, Ileana's seven when this happens. So there's definitely Claremont and company tapping into, like... Hey, we're writing a child going through this. And, and she's going to go through some stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. As she battles the evil version of Nightcrawler and all the demons in this realm. Um, but like, she's still a child. And when Belasco says, you know, I love you and I truly care about you. Like that resonates with this little girl Mm -hmm. who's trapped in an extremely scary place. Um, so she does kind of like claw her way back to him. And then ultimately as she's developing her own magic. So like she learns sorcery. She also develops the mutant ability to, uh, create portals basically that can jump through time. Well, we haven't learned time yet, but space, um, and, uh, and she discovers her soul sword here, which is a sword that she can pull out of her body and it can cut through just about anything. Which is cool. Like, this is good because yeah, that's it's giving, good. like, limitations and structure to her. And I'm just like, okay. Like, because when she moves into the new mutants, I'm like, all right, I like Ileana now. Like, she yeah. has a sword, right? Like, that's her thing. She's got this, like, magic sword that I can, like, grab onto and I kind of understand the stakes of that. Um, and I think what's so interesting about Ileana as a new mutant, which is something we'll talk about, like, in you know, once we talk new mutants, is she's just, like, she's just not a kid. 
the way their kids. You know, she mm-hmm. just can't be. So yeah. they're they're always kind of looking at her like out of the corner of their eyes as like this girl who's literally been to hell. <laughs> you know, like she's she's still a young little blonde Russian girl, but she's scary as hell because of the things she's seen and had to do. You know. Yeah. Um, and it makes her really interesting. I think, like she's she has a life experience. Yeah, that she is comes out of this being, to emulate. A, being an interesting character. The the other detail I like is um, Belasco keeps referring to her as their like delicate snowflake something. Yeah, which is just like I don't know. It's just it's corny, right? I mean, like you know, he just tweeted yesterday, cancel cancel culture. You know, he's just one of these <laughs> guys who's just like. I don't know. Calling everyone SJWs yeah. and snowflakes, and it's just it's like pathetic, man. You're like 45, right? No, right. You're like forty five thousand years old, Belasco. And you're still using the term <laughs> snowflake. Like, come on. I know, I know. Grow up, Belasco. Hard agree. Hard agree. Uh, the the issue ends, or the series ends, with the revelation that Ileana, through the corruptions of Belasco, like if she gives in to her more demonic nature now, she can become the dark child. This will definitely continue to play a role, and she can kind of, not kind of, she can kind of. Jeez, I keep saying it. She can attack Belasco and usurp his power and rule mm-hmm. Limbo of her own accord. So, like, she can become the Dark Child and rule Limbo, which, again, you have this member of the New Mutants who can rule this version of Hell, which is very cool. I guess. I don't know. You, you've been talking about this for a while, and I've just been like, okay, I don't know. It's fine, I guess. I don't know. But like you, this, Well, but that's... This is, okay, I think that's totally fair, though, because, like, you don't... Truly, you don't know where this is going. I don't, and um, also, like... Just as a baseline of like, if you ask me what is more interesting in comics, superheroes or magic, science or magic, it's going to be science. You know, that's that's like just like a personal preference. Yeah. So I can't I can't discredit this too much for that. But I, I do think like it's tough to pull that off in comics a little bit more. Have um, you read Neil Gaiman's books of magic? I haven't because I am still working my way through Sam Man. I've been reading it through this quarantine a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't finished it. I've been making a concerted effort and I'm like. A little over halfway through. Oh, you made it I, over halfway. That's well, I still, for you. I've actually read like probably two thirds, three quarters of it in the past. Mm-hmm. I think. I think I got like halfway through the third omnibus or the third absolute edition. So yeah. I'm almost to where I like stopped before. Um, it's great. <laughs> Such a good comic. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah. All right, good deal. So, Magic or Sandman? What's better? It's, oh, um, yeah, Sandman. I don't know. What's the joke to that question? <laughs> What's <laughs> What's better? What's the trick? Something good or something just okay? Speaking of something good. Oh, yeah. The next series on the list was New Mutants, number 18 to number 21. This is a huge moment in... No, no. Don't don't you dare. Don't you dare. I gotta say. say. I just gotta say. (laughs) What do you gotta say? That I was feeling a little down Uh on this batch of comics. Like West Coast Uh Avengers. Incredible Hulk was good and fun. But, you know, it wasn't like... Didn't completely blow my hair back, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was good though. Like I enjoyed it. Um yeah. and then magic was a little bit of a drag. It was you know, it wasn't awful. But then we get to a nice bright shining spot in the Bilkinsevitz Bilkinsevitz era of New Mutants. This was Bill awesome. Bilkinsevitz was his father. Bill Sinkevich. Yeah. Um, he's here as penciler and inker supreme alongside Chris Claremont on what has come to be known as the Demon Bear Saga. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess actually it's just issues 18 to 20, right? And then 21 is kind of a, a well, and we read party 14 epilogue. also, which was like the return of... Um, oh, yeah. The return of Ileana. Yeah. That's right. Uh, anything you want to say about 14 before we jump into Demon Bear? No, I mean, it is kind of just the follow-up to... Um, the magic right like kind of shows Ileana joining the team and um 
I'm trying to remember, was there anything? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't remember anything from it. So no, I I, I remember it was fine, but uh, yeah. Human Bear Saga just so like <laughs> knocked it out of my. Oh, brain. it o- it overshadows it by yeah, far. Yeah, for sure. Um, so artistically, this book levels up here, right? Like, so yeah. we've oh, yeah. Yeah. we've read Bill's work on Moon Knight in in a little bit of capacity and we've seen if you read that run with uh doug mensch you can see the progression Mm -hmm. right of like i'm doing kind of neil adamsy um superhero comics and then that progression into like no actually this is my style and i'm going to integrate that into moon knight and it's cool to see in some some very good issues definitely a run that a lot of people like quite a bit by the time we get to new mutants though Sinkevich is is doing entirely his own thing, mm. and it's like almost every other page is this breathtaking, visceral approach to interior comics layouts. I mean, it's truly unlike anything else in the Marvel Universe at this point in time. And it's then it's unlike, some. yeah. I mean, it's really unlike much we've seen in comics, period. You know, <laughs> like, he, he he's so... I guess I don't know how true that is, because I haven't done enough of, like, a, yeah. you know, an indie comic scene deep dive from the era mm-hmm. but definitely in the superhero world i mean oh, yeah. it's it's yeah, sure. light years beyond Well, because i mean he's doing stuff because we've really praised like frank miller frank miller has really his own style right yeah and yeah john bird has his own style um Starenko had a very strong style to his stuff but i think they're still all working at least in just the overall aesthetic of like how their pencils look not layout I think like layout is where Frank Miller just like absolutely excels. Yeah. Um, but just in the overall aesthetic of what they're doing, um, that like they're still kind of just playing in the house style and then you know modifying it for their own look. And maybe they're they're blowing that up a little bit. So Kevitz is just working in like his own entire art. Like this is a different genre of art <laughs> entirely. Yeah. Um, it is. And like... I I could see it being I can see it being off putting in some ways. Like I, I I've tried to picture this and it's hard. But, like, if you're a younger reader mm-hmm. and you picked up New Mutants 18, yeah. it, it'd be like, what? what is the flow of action here? Like, what see, is because what is I, happening I, um, I think maybe from scene the only, to scene? I could see that. I could only see you being turned off in a way that you're just like, I don't really like it. It's not clean. Like, because I just don't like a, a scratchy. It's not as clean. It's probably the simple. Like, if you compare this to I don't think that's the simplicity of Bob Hall on West Coast Avengers, that right. is clean. Yes box by box superhero yes. comics yes, yes. whereas this is that messy integrated everything's on one page and maybe the panel layout is the the shadow of the bear or something you know yeah. like yeah, yeah. It, it's utilized you know and it's amazing that, i think it's great but i, I can see it being me challenging away is that the actual panel layout and the visual storytelling here i think is excellent i think he has he grabs your eyes and directs them perfectly where they need to go. And it has this like cinematic pacing to it where like yeah. m- moment after moment of this had me like, I felt like I hit the beat just where he wanted me to do, you know, like you have yeah. that. It's it's kind of this hard to explain feeling when you're reading a comic where you're just like, this is unveiling like visually before me exactly the way the artist planned it. You know, like there's, there's a few moments that feel like they have, they had like an immediacy and an impact in either the page turn or just the end of the panel. So, like, mm-hmm. the three that really stand out, um, issue, the first issue of this, we see a woman who's having, like, these nightmares about the future, um, and Charles Xavier is, like, the, the mansion is surrounded by the military, and Charles Xavier is yelling out a window that they surrender and that they're no harm, and then you turn the page, and it's, like, a full double-page spread, and the top of it 
Charles Xavier is getting shot through the head through the window and yeah. his wheelchair has been blown back to the far left side of the panel and the words blam are running all the way across yeah. and it is just like it I mean it hits like a bullet right like that that page flip and that like turn is so good and just like mm-hmm. as good of a page turn as we've ever had um later the page turn where we flip the page and get Danny Moonstar standing in front of the bear and there's no words it's completely silent and it's just a yeah. full page spread of that it's just incredible stuff and then the one that really stood out to me uh, one of the other ones that stood out to me is Danny gets injured she's in the hospital and um just as you're reading down the doctors are like rushing her into surgery they're reading off they're like talking about all the injuries she, she has and there's these panels of them cutting off um the jacket she has on and then right at the ban- bottom of the page it shows that they're like I can't remember. They ask if they have time to do something. The doctor's like, we need to get her into surgery now. No time. And then, like, right from the word bubble, it leads into the arc of her jacket being thrown aside and slamming into the wall and, like, splat against the wall, the blood hitting because it's soaked through with blood. And, like, I don't know. Like, this is... Daredevil is the only other comics that's done that kind of, like... It has taken me from, like, word bubble to art. I just feel like this. you're in the hands of a master who is just leading you so confidently. Um... Yeah, yeah, it's really incredible stuff. And then besides that, I mean, the art just looks great. You know, he's got this abstract style that's also mixed with, like, geometric, um, like, these perfect circles. Like, he looks putting all these, like, perfect circles in here and these, these geometric Accentuating shapes. circles around characters' eyes uh, in particular is kind of a calling it's card sometimes for of jokes. his. Like, he's got this really... Sorry, I've been talking for a while. What, 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 what do you like about St. Kevitz? No, it, it, I think that was great. I think those are good examples. I think the art is... One thing I particularly love of his mm-hmm. is his ability to uh, to display scope and scale. You know, despite like mm-hmm. the page hasn't mm-hmm. actually gotten any bigger, and yet the size of that demon bear when it's revealed is impossibly large. Okay, oh, I just uh, I I was reading cause I wanted to see if the demon bear comes back in Marvel. I was like, is this is this yeah. a guy with a history? Not really. I guess maybe they play with it later, but surprisingly, one of the big <laughs> there's like a really big story that does not get milked over and over again. Um, yeah, totally. And, and we should say the demon bear is, um, it's something that Danny Moonstar, who his code name is psych, but I've never really thought of her as that yeah, she's yeah. I, eventually she'll be Mirage. Um, yeah, but yeah. I just like calling her Danny. Uh, she is kind of like terrified that like some bear is coming for her and it's kind of not given, given a name. She's in the danger room practicing fighting against bears. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, got this inkling that bears are coming. Um, and then when she finally like heads out in the snow in the X mansion all alone, she finds this giant spiritual demon bear, which is tied to her Cheyenne ancestry. Uh, as the story progresses, we mm-hmm. learn, um, you know, waiting out there and, and it attacks her viciously despite her firing off some arrows and landing a shot. It it does does not do enough Ooh, damage. I mean, more than landing it, she gets that arrow like through its snout. It's very cool, like yeah. inside of its mouth, yeah. up through its snout. And somehow I wanted it's not to point enough. out, you were saying it's a big bear. Uh, when I was looking up this stuff about the demon bear, I found some article like, what is the demon bear on Screen Rant? And this, this okay. sentence is very good. It's terrifyingly large at more than 30 feet, which is obviously much much larger than a normal bear <laughs> thank you screen rant <laughs> definitely not just filling space there um, yeah 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 so well yeah, on, this... in bears on bears when i was listening the other day they mm-hmm. rang demon bear one of their top five biggest bears i don't know if you i don't know if you caught this episode yet this is one of our favorite podcasts bears on oh bears. you really can conf- oh <laughs> i forgot it's about where 
Yes. <laughs> it's where gay men talk about the Chicago Bears. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a great one. Everybody should check it out. God, it's a funny. It's a funny joke that we came up with. I thought I forgot that that was a, <laughs> a callback to a joke we had, and I thought you were talking about like the Cartoon Network show We Bear Bears, which is also <laughs> very funny. <laughs> I I, uh, I remember enjoying that. I caught some yeah, of that cute. with my yeah. with my son not too long ago. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, less fun is uh, Danny Moonstar getting sent to the hospital and the New Mutants all congregating there to visit her. Mm-hmm. I think, too, like, definitely have to give credit, and, and we've done this before in Wolverine with Frank Miller, but to Claremont for, like, recognizing who is the artist I'm working with and who mm-hmm. am I writing for here mm-hmm. and uh, changing up his style enough, changing up the pace, like, setting a story to let them work. And uh, and everything ties together really beautifully. And I think what's what's kind of amazing is like this is the start of their work together, you know, um, on New Mutants. Like it doesn't like they come into he, this. He gives them the pretty space. fully formed. Yeah, I mean, when else does Claremont let a no word splash page happen? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I, that right. that was where I was like, wow, Claremont's really like like they're working well together. That he allowed this page to happen with not a single word on it, nothing. How, yeah. I mean, how rare is that? in Marvel Comics, period, like, that we see not, like, a word of narration or a word of text box, nothing. Um, yeah, and it, no, it and definitely it still tans, stands out. Yeah. I do want to talk a little bit about... So the, the primary plot is the New Mutants trying to corral and stop this demon bear and yep. to basically save Danny Moonstar's life, right? Yes. So you've yes. got Cannonball, Sunspot, Wolfsbane, Magma, and Magic now um, all working to do that. Oh, and Ma- what Magma, I- if you're curious... Can I just point? Out? I I read this <laughs> good old Magma. Magma is yeah. really funny because she's a teenage mutant from. Uh, they were in trouble. Brazil visiting Sunspot's family and his evil father, something like that. And they accidentally get like their their boat. They're on a boat down a river. It crashes. Whatever, something like that. Yeah, they find a lost first century city of like Rome that has yeah. been hidden away in the mountains of Brazil for you know millennia and it is like first century and everyone in there still thinks that it is yeah like the golden age of rome uh and magma is like pulled from there which is it's very... a very doctor who uh yeah, plot yeah, line, yeah, actually because sure. you know it's like it's we're gonna fun. visit I read it before right. it's good yeah let's actually let's address that so this is issue 18 of new mutants and it's mm-hmm. definitely like it's basically issue one you know, in a lot of ways because of the creative team and kind of the the legacy of this. The first 17 issues are not bad, you no, know, but no, they, I read, I read all they the do not time. ever hit in the way that m- made me feel like these are special beyond historical importance and learning who these characters are, you know? Um, so no no shade to Claremont and Bob McCloud for, like, their origins in, in the New Mutants graphic novel, which we talked about, but this book doesn't become, like, must-read territory for me until this very moment yeah, I, um, I liked it like there is some I, stuff that's introduced that is important. yeah i felt it was worth reading but like i also was really taken with the new mutants the first time i read it because i was just like oh like i don't know anything about these guys and they're really yeah. intriguing to me so i enjoyed this it's it, if you like them it's worth reading but if not you can get i think actually the inclusion of 14 is really good because the 14 really like sets up like where they are now in a very low stakes issue and also um, like this is what the book was like you yeah. know prior to this escalation of this creative team um so okay so that's what the new that's what the new mutants core is doing i did want to address like there one thing i'd forgotten until i reread it was there's a surprising number of not surprising number but like surprisingly big uh supporting stories within this the first Mm -hmm. one you mentioned is rachel 
<laughs> is here. She's oh, around. That, well, um, okay. I've got a blank. That, it, it does not say who she is. So I have no it idea. Said, I, it must say it in one of the no, uncanny I, issues. I still did not know. At the end of that, I still had no idea who that was. So. Uh, I don't well, you, know. You just told this. me who it is, and I don't know that. So I don't know about this. All right, I'm not going to explain who she is then, if if she hasn't actually yeah. been introduced by name. But there's a there's a mysterious visitor here. This woman who is trying to find Professor X, and she's going to uh, play a role. I guess I won't add any details because apparently who, I'm spoiling things for Zach like, again. To me, at least, this is strongly suggesting Jean Grey. Like the whole time, I. Don't know what, uh, you know, like reading this, I don't know if I'm right or not, but I'm thinking this is Jean Grey in some way, like from the future. Seems like she's been revived. Well, she's a, it's a redhead, yes. like a redhead with telekinesis, you know, who's like trying to warn the X-Men of some future threat and who's confused yeah. because she's like, last time I was here, things were different. You know, I haven't been yeah. here for a while. So that, that's, I think that's what it's trying to give off here. The vibe that it's trying to give off, whether or not that's true, I guess we'll find out. Um, Aren't you sure we didn't read an issue with her in it yet? In the Uncanny X-Men issues? No, we did. She just, it did not reveal who she is. In 184? Yes, it, it give, does. It gives her first name. That is it. She's the she's like the featured character in Uncanny X-Men 184. It tells, at the end, like, they it says her first name, and that is it. We can um, say who she is. No, I don't. Well, I didn't know who it was, and... <laughs> right, I'm, I'm, I'm questioning. All right, club, if you think I should have said the name of the woman who was in <laughs> Uncanny X-Men number 184, please vote in our poll... Uh, which probably doesn't exist, but just send me a note directly mm-hmm. uh, at mymarvelousheroesgmail.com that says, subject line, all caps, Dave was right. That's all okay. I want to see, and uh, I'll know. Okay, but in the meantime, she debuts, and also there's the saga of Warlock and the Magus, the um, the Technarch uh, alien race and his coming to Earth, which we're going to see in New Mutants number 21, the Slumber Party issue, where Warlock actually crashes, and we learn a little bit about this alien and his uh, his eventual oh, involvement like, with literally, the literally, he crashes the party, huh? Sure oh, does. That's the joke you're going to make. Um, so I like I like Warlock a lot. I like the issue with Warlock quite a bit. Uh-huh. Uh, it's 21. I think that the Demon Bear saga is dragged down a little bit by these little, like, asides. It's kind of weird, isn't it? It's, it's a bit of a bummer yeah. just because it's like, I'm so into this, and it feels like, okay, well, I don't need to be distracted right now. Like, I want I want to follow through on what's happening. I'm so, like, into the action here. Yeah. That it feels... And I, I get, like, Claremont sometimes does this really well. Um, well, he's always think, doing it, is the thing. He's always doing it, and I think sometimes more or less successfully. And this is a time where I was just like, you really should just, like... You don't need to be planting seeds for the future right now. Like, just let me sit with this because this is so riveting that i'm getting you know I, i'm getting annoyed at I, this because i'm like all right what, what who's this robot on the moon i don't care get back yeah. to the bear like yeah <laughs> yeah i hear you on that um i do even though i like the robot i the do moon. like the constant seed planting i i like that as a feature of yeah. claremont's X-Men I, I think he just because well, it's always building i mean we have that issue uh 183 does this uh x-men 183 yeah. which we're about to talk to is one of those issues where it's like Here's there's like four different things going on. They're all weaving in and out of each other. Works great. And then we get 186. And again, I feel like don't cut away from the main action. Like you have a really riveting single story here. And this one deserves your full attention. You know, I think there's it's time not, for it. It's not that. a single story like vision, though. It's just not. Like he doesn't write standalone issues. Yeah. Well, I don't I think, think he, I don't think, I think Claremont's he, interested in that. Well, the thing is with this is, like, this is not one of those X-Men stories where, like, here's the A story, and then there's, like, two B stories and a C story all happening, and they're all weaving together. This is, like, there's clearly an A story, and here's one scene off to the side that is leading into something. 
and then back to the I th- main story. I, I think that structure is kind of cool. Like it's just it's yeah. just a quick cutaway to something else entirely that's coming. It's a teaser, you know. It's an advert. Yeah, I for, think it, for what I think is it, coming. Like kind of hurts the pacing of the uh, the original thing in this case. You know, I, I think yeah. there there are comics that that works in if you were like focused to that structure where you are like doing kind of a multi-thread issue and there are ones where it's mm-hmm. like well 90% of this is your A story and having one scene in a completely new and unusual setting just feels like a distraction to me well and it certainly stands out when the comics are this good like when the A yes, story is exactly. this good yes, it's yes, like so. we actually didn't need the break <laughs> yep. you know whereas when it's more average you're like a oh, break would have been nice uh, the um, two other right. things I want to mention about Sinkevitz the the wild thing about him is that he's weirdly photorealistic <laughs> he's one of the more photorealistic artists we've seen despite yeah. that like wild abstraction like the way he draws faces um, like he's simultaneously really messy and then also like he knows like his background stay nice and clean like he lets lots of like wide swaths of untouched color happen. Mm-hmm. Um, he's such it's just such an interesting mix of different things, and he has a really fun sense of playfulness. With like this is a comic book, and you know you're reading a comic book, so I'm gonna do all these fun little winks to the fact that like mm-hmm. I wouldn't say break the fourth wall, but like definitely playing with the format. So like, I mean, you called it out in one of our Ultimate Year things where like um, they talk about a guy. Uh, who freezes like a deer in the headlights and it actually shows a deer in the headlights you know like something like yeah. that breaking out yeah. this he has when they go to the demon bear's land this like dimension that lands. he has yeah it shows a little map from above this that map, map is so exciting and it's so simple <laughs> it's such a <laughs> yeah exactly it's, it's just this like little video game thing <laughs> that pops yeah. up and it's just like the demon bears land and then it has like a little key to it that's like all the black space is where the demon bear shadow has overtaken the land and as the yeah. fight progresses every once in a while that map will just pop up in the corner right it's not even in the same place ever it's just kind of no. like and here, here's a no. little update on the map and the map is getting and the more shadows expanding than... right and it gives you a little scale <laughs> this, yeah this equals this amount of shadow yeah it's just a fun little visual cue and it's really playful that, that actually progresses like... and is is it, it like it kind of adds to the story because it actually tells you oh the dean bears expanding um as as that fight goes on you know another weird little detail that i don't know how much this is sinkevich um but he does the cover so i want to call it out uh issue 19 and 20 mm-hmm. they start doing fun little like uh like storytelling beats in the corner boxes of the covers so issue 19 no, has a, a quick image of um danny like on a ventilator but then issue 20 oh, yeah. is sam guthrie in a cowboy hat with a with a holster <laughs> which is way more fun you know so it's like all of a sudden instead oh, of just yeah. the usual the faces of who will, will appear and then 21 is warlock mm-hmm. um yeah. kind of you know looking bonkers and terrified so i i love that detail i wish uh, i actually wish more comics did that now uh in forever you know who does that really well is um one piece the manga because every every chapter you need to read it every, hmm? i need to read it when we do my manga this year yeah every chapter you know what i was thinking is is instead of my manga this year mm-hmm. what if we did my marvel this year where i don't read a single marvel comic for a <laughs> for year, <all> year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah every chapter opens up with a single splash page and like mm, half the time they're just kind of like here's the one piece crew but on safari Here's the One Piece crew, but as uh, Italian gangsters, like something like that, like funny yeah. little goofy things. And then, but he also uses it as like the next 20 chapters. I'm going to take some side character we haven't heard from in three years and show just like a, a bunch of single captionless piece of art showing their little adventure. Like here's a villain that we haven't seen in a long time. And then over the course of 20 solo splash pages, we're just going to get like, here's a little adventure they're on. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's a, a fun detail. The the other thing that I want to point out, I love the slumber party. I think it's fun. He, Chris Claremont has generally a pretty good grasp of like the teens, like the way that they're chit chatting. I think works. They read well. like kids. Um, yep. it, it is interesting to see non mutant kids invited over to the X mansion as and well. Like, man, it. I just love like them being like they're mutants, and we're, but we're still gonna let them have fun. Like, it's fun to watch characters you like having fun. Yeah. You know, like you never because you never get this. Other. Well, not never, but you never quite get this with the X Men in the way that yeah. you can with the New Mutants because they are so young. Yeah, I mean, I, I love when Professor X comes back and he's just like, "Man, they're going to age me before my time." Well, I hope they like clean it up as much as they do, for, you know, causing a mess. But like, all very cheerfully, you know, he's not actually. Well, like, you get a little bit of daddy, Professor X. Like yeah. he's a, he's a not a good daddy, but you know, <laughs> he he is the father figure to these characters certainly. Yeah. Uh, before we. Before we do quite address the the major new character in issue 21, I, I do just want to sum up the Demon Burst saga by saying oh, yeah. there's some pretty wild stuff that happens in this issue's end uh, conclusion. Oh, yeah. the, the first of which, so oh, I, I, I do not before we get to the big to one, <laughs> the first is the Demon Bear was apparently like a prison for Danny Moonstar's parents. She believed they were dead. And actually, they've been, like, captured inside this demon bear. So they're freed by the end of this in a pretty emotional resolution for Danny, who, like, she... I, I forget the exact uh, medical report on Danny mm-hmm. at the end of this, but she's not paralyzed in the way that, you know, was feared mm-hmm. throughout the, the beginnings of this. There's also something that I definitely do not have the the uh, knowledge or experience to address with any, like, you know, intelligence. But two characters who begin... There's a police officer and there's a nurse who gets sucked into the Demon Bear and all of this. Um, uh-huh. There's Officer Tom Corsi and Sharon Friedlander. And again, like I said at the very start of this, if Chris Claremont names a character, go ahead and remember it because they're going to be around. <laughs> they're going to play a role. I was surprised. And I these looked two up this, characters. This cop had like a blue link on his Wikipedia page for the Demon Bear. Uh-huh. And I was like, uh-huh. the cop has us. And then I was like, wow, okay, I guess he's going to be around for a while. Yeah, yeah. No, he's a supporting character. And uh, both of them get turned into Cheyenne, um, like Native Americans. So like uh-huh. their racial identity gets switched. Mm-hmm. Listen, I'm sh- I'm certain. <laughs> I'm certain there's a lot to that. No, I, you, you know, know what? I I disagree. I think there's nothing to this. To be I I yeah. I don't I don't think I'm equipped to really like talk about it, but I don't think Claremont has anything he's actually saying with this. I think he's Oh, no, no, no. I don't I'm not ass. saying he thinks there's a message. I just, I bet there's a lot of critical analysis on what this means when you anytime in comics, whether we're talking about Lois Lane pretending to be black, the Punisher that time he turned into a black man, uh, mm-hmm. or these two supporting characters who were turned into Native Americans, I bet there's a lot of good critical analysis on, on what that means and whether uh, or not that's a good thing. I, I am kind of going to come down on, if you think that there's good critical analysis for this, you're overthinking this, because I don't think this is near nearly, I don't think this warrants that kind of critical analysis. Just in the way that I think it's kind of just like a muddled mess, and it's kind of like. But these characters are around now as that as is appearing as Native yeah. Americans. Yeah, for, yeah, that I I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> truly, I don't. Yeah, who knows? Um, yeah, because it vaguely feels like Chris Claremont is like trying to be like this demon bear is the avatar for you know the the anger of the Native Americans against white, um, you know, like white taking over the land, like Americans or 
the British, whatever, taking over the land, etc. Sure. Like, but like, kind of, not really. Who knows? Like, it feels like he is draping this a little bit in just the like. Well, and it's not like the, that's the, the plot. It's not like oh, if the demon bear takes over our world, he'll turn everyone into a Cheyenne, a native Cheyenne, as the vengeance of of this tribe or whatever, right? Like that's not what's happening here. It no, just I mean happens compared to, these two to like almost at random. Um, um, so you know, it's a thing that happens. <laughs> like that's that's the literally the most I can say, um, and it's gonna stick because those again, Tom Corsi and Sharon Friedlander are around in uh, in New Mutants for a while. Yeah, I just don't think, like, uh, c- compared to, um, what's that guy in, uh, JMD Mateus's Captain America? It's not Stormcrow, it's Crow, what's his name? John? Black Crow? No, that's, that's a Marauder. Jesse Black Crow, somebody else. There's a Jesse character Black with, Crow like, sounds right. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, who comes in and, like, JMD Mateus is clearly, like, talking about the, you know, like, uh, culpability of white men and white americans now in the you know like the plight of native americans and how like horrifying we have and still do treat them and then i think you could like critically analyze that with like this is good this is bad this is you know the, he's talking nobody's talking about he's getting at interesting points whatever i just think sure. like claremont's thing is such like it feels just kind of like random and <laughs> you're just like what okay i guess yeah no it's it's happening. more bizarre than yeah. than loaded with message um all right so let's jump to our final section then uh we read three kind of hodgepodge issues of uncanny x-men one of which i added just for this round of my marvelous year uh they are 186 oh really that that was the one i I really like so yeah it's uh probably it's definitely one of the ones that people talk about more and i thought was worth including Hmm. uncanny x-men number 183 is an issue i really love it follows up on the uh the secret wars development that colossus falls hard for zaji um and comes back and tells kitty pride this she says hey where are we at uh and colossus says this underage relationship cannot stand any longer i fell in not because it's wrong but because i fell in love uh, on the Battle War planet, he's still in love, apparently, with Zaji, oh, and he, I guess, breaks Kitty's heart. There's some good uh, Kitty, you know, reacting like a like a young it's teen ju- girl to I mean, getting I, broken up with. What I love with. about it is he sounds just as stupid now as he did in Secret Wars too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Like, no, that because that's the thing is like what? Shooter Jim God, Shooter took that character for a minute, yeah. and and Claremont definitely rolls with that. Now Jim Shooter's yeah. his boss, yeah. right? Um, but he rolls with it, and it feels extremely natural. Like it feels Colossus, like he's finding a good way to salvage that story without just throwing it away. Which is yeah, right. Claremont has a, a knack for being able to do that. Like Avengers yes. two hundred. Yes, um, getting something yeah, good out of it. Yeah, because I mean, he sounds like an a- when he like does, does this thing to Kitty. He's not then, delicate about it. That's for sure. Yeah, and then Wolverine come, basically takes he takes Colossus out for a drink and just is like, "Hey, mm-hmm. you're an." A- you can't you shouldn't treat kitty like that she deserves more respect than that and you uh you don't you're not thinking about anyone by yourself and you're also just an idiot for like falling in love with this girl and thinking that that's true love like which is all true but the best part yeah the best part about it is that wolverine nightcrawler take peter to a bar where juggernaut happens to be they shove him into jugs wrecking or i guess wolverine Sniffs him out, recognizes Juggernaut. He pushes Colossus into him, knowing a fight will ensue. No, so Wolverine and Nightcrawler love, don't have. I love to. like the. So you read these comics much earlier before I do, like before they are recording than I do. I usually yeah. read them the day of. I love yeah. like hearing sometimes the ways that like 
you have somewhat fan fiction these into being slightly cooler than they are. <laughs> like you somewhat okay, what's, what's what in your mind just there? to be like, it, it's basically what you said, except he doesn't shove him. Peter just like stands up and it's just like uh, Wolverine tries to get him out of there before a fight with Wolverine Colossus. doesn't chirp him or push him into juggernaut. No, Wolverine is just Wolverine sniffs out juggernaut and is like, Oh, we got to get out of here before he recognizes us. And he's like, all right, come on, Peter. And Peter's like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm my own man. Like he's drunk. Yeah. And he reels backwards and splashes his drink on the juggernaut. It, it doesn't matter. It's not like a detail that matters. I usually let these go, but I just wanted to point out. I like how sometimes no, you, no, you I, kinda I like these. I like my version. I got to say, yeah, no, yours is fine. Cause then Wolverine does just sit back and he's just like, we don't need to help him. Like Nightcrawler's like, oh, we, we you know, we got to get in there. And he's like, no, 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 let him, let him take this on his own. I think he deserves, you know, a good ass kicking. <laughs> yeah, um, it's an all-out Juggernaut versus and, a Cyclops brawl. Juggernaut's they don't help him at all. Suit. Juggernaut at one point lifts up the bar, I think, and throws yep. it at him, yeah. which is awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, they destroy the, he destroys the whole bar. They, they do make a point of talking out that this guy has, like, anti-superhero insurance, but they destroy the whole building. Like, the building crumbles Well, Andy's got him. that wad of cash Juggs throws him at the end of things, which is a <laughs> juggernaut. great Juggernaut moment. It is. It's really good, but the thing is, like, it doesn't matter if that's 100s. Like, that's like 1,500 bucks tops, and he's just like, yeah, I tore down your, you know, your eight-story building. Here's The a, point <laughs> is, he tried. The here's point a, a two-inch roll of cash to, uh, to make up for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it was a wad. He had a you know at least twelve singles in there. Yeah, um, no. yeah, it's a it's a fun issue, and like you know, Wolver- and it's it's a I guess it's a male bonding issue, but it's also reconciling what happened with Secret Wars and giving mm-hmm. Kitty some time to react to that. Um, yeah. It's good. It's good. Like simple meeting Juggernaut at a bar. X Men is often sometimes the most satisfying type of X Men story yeah, for me. That's fun. Yeah, and, then, and I should mention too, all these issues, I believe. Uh, we have pencils by John Romita Jr. and inks by Dan Green. So we are yes, thoroughly in the J.R. Jr. run of Uncanny X-Men. Now, this J.R. Jr. style yeah, is definitely work, different yeah. than I would say his modern style. Mm-hmm. Um, his Like his X-Men art does not speak to me um, or does not tell me it's J.R. Jr. the same way that I see anything post-2000. Mm-hmm. And just kind of it's instantly recognizable as as that artist. Um, I I like his X-Men work. I don't like it probably as much as the predecessors um but i do think it is i don't know i'm not gonna get into ranking the various claremont collaborators um it, it's middle of the pack for me yeah i guess yeah, he's, he slots in nicely it doesn't feel like yeah. too uh too big of a jump and it is kind of just like yeah it's good it's nice and clean i, I like it um you know what I mean, this might rile some uh feathers but i think i like him uh quite a bit more than dave cockrum um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of blasphemous, I guess, just in the, in the sense of, like, Cockrum is co-creator of some of these characters, so yeah. there's that, like, there's the creator part of it, but I yeah, guess visually, that, that's different. Yes. I can see what yeah, you're saying. Yeah. I don't I don't want to take any credit away from that. Um, yeah, that, that is very different. But just as, like, just reading the issue in the, uh, the general art style, I, uh, I think his is a lot easier to read and a lot more pleasing to the eye. Okie dokie. Speaking of pleasing to the eye, Uncanny X-Men number 184 is the uh, introduction to our club of Selene. He looked, <laughs> ancient he looked vampire. when he said that, and then he just kept barreling on. I, I did look. I made Zach think that was going to be about him, Yeah, as okay, I often do. Um, this is also the first appearance of Forge, believe it or not, this yep. issue, and then obviously we'll see him again in 186. So... This issue is called The Past of Future Days. It stars a character that I apparently can't name. So, Zach, you go ahead and explain what happens here because I don't know how to do it without naming the feature character. Oh, I don't remember. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so let's see. What's going on? 
Mystique is undercover is like a government agent trying to get forged to build some like anti-mutant weaponry and that's also right. like mutant detectors. So that's going on. Forge is a mutant who can build anything. That's kind of his mutant powers. He's got the ability to like... And he is building this thing for the government. So like yeah, he is very much working, uh, you know, at least seemingly in opposition to mutant kind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his mutant power is just being the best engineer. It's kind of a funny He's the power. best builder. Yeah. yeah. Um, The other thing going on is that like there's... <laughs> I know why attack. you don't remember the other thing. Yeah. The other thing going on is a crossover with Rom Space Knight. <laughs> Oh, was <laughs> that where the Dark Wraith super bizarre? Yeah, so the Wraith, uh, there's a Wraith that. war going on right now. Those Wraiths come from Rom, which we've probably referenced briefly, but, like, we cannot read in Marvel Unlimited and probably never will be able to. I, yeah. um, if you can actually track down the issues, I think Rom is pretty fun. It is written by Bill Mantlo. Uh all you really need to know about wraiths is they're they're evil aliens. You know what? Um, like and, I gotta and they say, show up in X Men right from the beginning. These wraiths got my interest way more than the Brood ever did. I was like, well, yeah. because they start out with that one horrifying scene of just some government guy sitting out in his car, uh, a creepy little tentacle proboscis shoots through his windshield into his forehead, and then just like saps him dry. And it's they're kind of creepier scrolls, scroll Brood hybrids in some ways. Yeah, yeah, know? sure. Well, they like sap your brain More out from your movie. head and then they turn into you um it was good yeah like, like invasion of the that, body snatchers but yeah, you know it shows how much like art in a good situation to like show them off in will uh you know can like actually captivate you towards a towards a character yeah so i mean that that i guess doesn't play into anything in the bigger picture um there's a woman running around with red hair and telekinesis talking <laughs> mostly about and we've already said this she's just kind of like this isn't how i remember it i have time to stop it Things get bad. I'm from the future. Like it's basically. It, oh, and can I can I say who she is now? No, because we don't know. We're gonna read it later. I just I don't think this is true. Okay, but you just said where she's from. You know she's from the well, future. She says she has that. red hair. We just don't know who she is. I think she she's know, we know she's from an alternate future because she doesn't think this is how things happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they even call it what the future of days past. I think it's the name of the issue, which is a fun little. Like play a on dead there. giveaway as well. It's not. I mean, they say a lot of stuff. They just don't say her name. The name is a spoiler. Claremont does My say God. a lot of stuff. I All agree. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Th this doesn't go anywhere here. This doesn't like conclude anything. I feel like we have to read more to find out more about her. Fine, fine, fine. The yeah. evil Celine finds uh, this woman and attempts mm -hmm. to. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, fine. We don't need. We don't need to go into uh, Nick Damiano, <laughs> the really club owner. <laughs> <laughs> I do kind of want to. Um, so Celine uh, captures her. She tries to suck. Celine's again like a psychic vampire. She tries to take this woman's power. She runs into a problem because apparently this woman's a mutant. Um, this this energy explosion like gets the professor's attention, I uh -huh. believe, and he sends in a unit of X Men to go and rescue her. And uh, that's what they do. Like ultimately, and Professor X, I think himself, or he sends a psychic projection of himself to actually go into battle. And stop Celine from taking out this lady who is finally has finally found the professor that she intended, and she traveled back. Uh, she traveled backwards in time, clearly, but she doesn't seem to be in the right timeline. Yeah, and it's it's not clear if she's confused or if things are really like she's got lost. Um, yeah, you know what? Like Celine, Dark Wraiths, neither of those feel like important or that interesting on the page to me. But like this issue read well enough that I was. I was into the issue, even though, like, I read this two hours ago. 
and uh, you were just recapping that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess so. But, like, they left very little <laughs> sure. impression, but I enjoyed it enough at the time. Uh, the one yeah. that did leave an impression that I think would stick a little more is 186, which is very much like a bottle issue for the most part. A lot part. of special double-sized issues in yeah. this batch, I got to yeah, say, yeah. too, which which hits you when you're yeah. reading a lot of comics. Um, uh, this, but this, this is one. life death. Yeah. So in 185, which we skipped, which you could read. It's pretty good. Um, Henry Explain Peter, it here well enough, but it's, it's, it's important. Henry Gyrick, Henry Peter Gyrick, one and the same. Yeah. Okay. Um. He like used Forge's weapon that strips mutant powers away. He was trying to track down Rogue. Storm jumped in the way to like save Rogue. Got her powers taken away. Forge rescued her. That's the setup for this. So yep. this entire issue is just Storm and Forge in Forge's apartment. This like five story penthouse that he has. Forge's like... dope apartment. Yeah, it's kind of like the. Uh... What is it? The hologram deck on Star Trek, <laughs> almost. Like he just sure. kind of switches it to whatever he wants it to be. Um, this is a really interesting. He also I... switches those shorts to however high he wants them to be. Oh, I'll tell so you that. High. Those Short shorts. Forge comes rocking. Oh, the short speaking of jorts. outfits. Okay, so Storm and him are like. There's definitely some sexual tension bubbling up here, and she's just like, "All right, well, I gotta get dressed for dinner. <gasps> this, I'll wear this." And then she comes out in the most absurd-looking pink. <laughs> High school prom dress. She looks yeah. really dumb. She looks really bad. It doesn't look good on her. It doesn't like, look good at all. And, <laughs> it doesn't work. And Forge is just like, oh, my breath's caught in my throat. And she's like, oh, he says he says nothing. He must hate it. And it's like, and he's just, you know, befuddled by the beauty of this awful, like, it looks like a 15-year-old's prom dress. It's terrible. And then she goes and changes into the dopest outfit that looks so yeah. good on her, which is, uh, like, white suspenders that are just, like, cropped off. Uh, at the chest and like I've started wearing nothing but suspenders ever since I it's, read this. It's like a pretty it rad so sexy outfit. Uh, yeah, but that's you. like that's her <laughs> but that's the one she goes to put on to like be like oh well I'll just go put on normal clothes and it's like no this looks awesome Storm. Um, Claremont has a weird weird idea or whoever. She um, needs some uh, Emma Frost Jumbo Carnation fashion in her life. Uh, but yeah Life Death is it, crucially it is about Storm reconciling the value of her life uh, without her mutant powers. And she is struggling through depression in the wake of losing her ability and her connection to nature. You know, it, it is as, as if a piece of her has been stolen, has been mm -hmm. killed, you know, and Forge winds up being the one who, yes, they have this romantic relationship, but he's also someone who has revealed over the course of this that he kind of, he can kind of understand this level of depression and having gone through losing something, it's revealed he lost his leg in Vietnam, I believe. Um, so there's these two share a connection that definitely like it starts here, but will you know it, it plays a role in X Men um, for for a good long time. Barry Windsor Smith is the artist on this. Yeah. We talked about his uh, frankly perfect storytelling in Marvel Fanfare number fifteen mm -hmm. on the Dean's list, mm -hmm. and uh, no surprise, this is a great looking comic book as yeah. well it's definitely it's it is interesting to read like this is uncanny x-men it's the biggest book in marvel at this point in time right like it's becoming just this massive thing and <laughs> claremont just kind of having the the moxie and the um the clout to step in and just be like yeah we're gonna do an, an entire issue with just storm and forge and they're never gonna leave this apartment and they're just gonna talk about uh depression you know, and, and kind of trying to overcome that. Like, that's all it is. That's the entire issue. Um, yep. it, it definitely well, no, it resonates, cut, It cuts though. away. It does, because it cuts away to, like, 
uh, Mystique stuff, I think. Mystique's plans? Oh, no, and Rogue. Is that what Rogue it is? is? like, out there. This is where the Dark Wraith stuff comes in, because Rogue's out there trying to, like, catch... Uh, is the Wraith War still going on in this? Yeah, yeah. Which again, this this is that same <laughs> okay. issue where I was like, this would be really good. As did you ever, um, did you ever watch Girls on HBO? Zach, I watch Girls all oh the time. God, you're ridiculous. <laughs> um, there's an ish, an episode in that. Um, I can't remember second or third season with um, Patrick Wilson, the uh, the guy who plays Night Owl on Watchmen, and he guest stars. Oh yeah, you mean uh, you mean King Orm? <laughs> yeah, yes, I do. Talking yeah. about Ocean Master. Yeah, he guest stars in one episode where, like, him and Lena Dunham, the main character, like, have a kind of a one night day stand, and the entire issue episode is just the two of them in their apartment, like a brand new character and our main character talking to each other, and like yeah. having this one day stuck in his apartment, kind of. Um, and that's kind of what this reminded me of, except that it just it didn't quite have the confidence to not cut away from this at all. I think like 40 yeah. pages of conversation between two characters, especially one we love and one we don't know about, could be really fascinating. Um, and it mostly is. It kind of has this... I talk about this sometimes where it feels like he's somewhat dancing around themes without actually having anything in mind that he's talking about. Like, at the end, it's like <sighs> honor and self-worth and not being a slave to somebody else. But like, I don't really know what that means in the context of this issue. And it, at some point it ends up feeling hollow. Like the, the end of this felt very hollow to me and very much like, oh, this this isn't really tying into what is happening. It just kind of feels like you are spouting, uh, not truisms, but like these epithets that don't actually mean anything. You know, I, I, that yeah, like, like platitudes, right? Just like little, like these mm. are feel good sayings. Platitudes, that's the word. I, platitudes is the word I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that it that it absolutely lands. Um, I I don't think this issue is like. It feels like the type of comic that could be somebody's favorite comic. Definitely, I think if you said like this is a you know it's a very special episode kind of thing, which I'm mm -hmm. saying sarcastically and probably I shouldn't be. I don't. I don't quite mean to. It it is tackling a big uh a big topic and it is taking a very different approach to X Men comics, save the apparent Wraith War interludes. Yeah. Um, I don't actually think of it as one of my favorite comics in x-men or I think I might be, in marvel in general this is one of the case where i'm being a little hard on it because i like so much what i see it almost it's like almost there and it's almost trying to do something yeah. that i love which is like this is an ep an issue keep calling it episode this is an issue with storm being like vulnerable right she like she opens up about her uh her past and why she's claustrophobic to forge and it's like i've never told anyone that before right like, it, it's just very character based and then at the end of the day i feel like he's trying to make it seem significant but he doesn't have anything really there to say um well i think the i think the character work and the reaction to the story beats is where the significance comes from naturally mm -hmm. you know you don't really need a soliloquy at the yeah. end of things yes. yeah, to yeah. sell it exactly. i think i think it's like the visual of storm not wanting to get out of bed and Forge just being like, all right, screw it, and not knowing how to react to that, that to me sells what this comic's trying and, to do more than anything he has and to even write, like, essentially. Well, at the end of this, she finds out, she, like, overhears on the phone that Forge is the one behind, like, taking her powers. He created the gun right. that took her powers. Right. And, you know, like, it's a little misunderstanding. Like, he feels bad about this. He didn't quite know what it was being used for. You know, like, he has remorse about this. and he's I would, trying I to would make disagree it. that that's a little misunderstanding. Forge is yeah. very aware that she lost her powers due to him the entire time he's romancing her. 
Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, and he's trying to help her recover. Secret, but he is trying to like. Yeah, he. I mean, the 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 issue is that he's keeping it a secret, and not yeah, opening up to her. Um, well, I would also say the issue is that he did it. <laughs> I'm actually I not guess, giving Forge a pass on that. I guess I don't really either. know what he was thinking when he like gave the government that gun. Was he misled? I think I kind of thought he was like misled into doing it, but maybe not. So he definitely talks about it like maybe he was a little bit, but he made a gun that depowers mutants. So yeah, not, I guess that's. That's a good I'd point. have to reread that again, I guess. Okay. Um, yes, but I think that there's enough drawbunch just in that where she finds that out and she's so hurt because, like, you just spent 30 pages, 30 good pages, building up this little relationship between the two of them that when she gets these feelings of betrayal about it, I'm genuinely like, oh, no. Like, I liked this. I liked this relationship you built up. And I am, you know, I feel... Yeah torn and i feel bad that this is crumbling apart and it doesn't have to turn into this like philosophical thing that doesn't actually mean anything like just the character dynamics are good enough here to make this land that's where it kind of fall apart falls apart for me um yes forge so forge is good he's also cheyenne which this is one of the first times and maybe a little with danny moonstar where i feel like claremont is using that ethnicity can you hear me um yeah yeah yes i can hear you hey can you hear me yep okay there you are all right, I got, I got like one more thing to say. All right. This, and maybe with Danny Moonstar a little bit, is one of the first times I felt with Claremont where he's really using someone's like racial identity. It's kind of just like a, a set dressing. Like You're talking about Forge or uh, Storm now? Forge. Forge for sure. Because, um, you know, we've talked about him. Like he, he kind of likes this, you know, multicolored rainbow of a hero or superhero team. But like... Forge well, and I, I would say that is a dramatic positive. Yes, yeah, I, I generally think so too. There are just times where I feel like it is, I, I think fetishize is too strong of a word that he's like yeah, fetishizing definitely, this. Yeah, definitely, definitely. a little bit of that. Like wh- whatever the, the very minor mm. version of that is where like, you know. A kink? Yeah, yeah, he's got a kink for the Cheyenne. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's one thing you can say about Chris You Clark. heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. I um, headlines. And, you know, don't don't let that take anything away if you, like, you know, if you're Cheyenne and you read this and you were like, cool, like, I love having a hero on the page <laughs> that, like, it's also Cheyenne. I just, uh... I kind of heart... I kind of disagree with that pretty strongly. Yeah. Like, I know, like, other Marvel comics... I mean, I guess we saw Jam Dematty's doing this relatively well in Captain America, so I don't want to say no one else at Marvel's doing it. Um, mm-hmm. But but Claremont is... Th- those examples are more the exception and not the norm. Yeah, like this no, level I, I so. of diversity and integration, yeah, yeah. I think, in the book. And also, like, I think if you look at the landscape of 2020 comics and the p- things people like to scream about, you know, if uh, if X-Men tomorrow uh, introduced a Native American character out of nowhere, there would be people screaming that it is diversity for the sake of diversity, right? Yeah. No, in these kind of BS arguments. I don't think that's... Claremont you know drops what? Forge in out of the blue. <laughs> and and within two issues of his first appearance, he is, he is the sole... Uh, participant trying to get Storm out of her depression. This brand new character. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think that level of seamless integration is essential. And I think comics, uh, you if you look through the history of them, you see a lot of examples like that. But Claremont, I think, does it well. Now, is he perfect at it? Absolutely not. I, I won't pretend he is. Um, but it's... It's a net. It's so far and above a net positive. Yeah, I, I think so overall too. Uh, there are just like moments of it where, I guess you know, I think the Danny Moonstar demon bear, you know, Native Americanizing of two random people 
for seemingly arbitrary reasons just made me like a little sensitive to this where i was just like wait why are you doing this are you are you doing this just like as set dressing or are you doing this for you know like i guess maybe it made me start wanting to question his motives a little bit but no i mean i Hmm. i'm with you and i have been with you overall that like having this diverse group is good and like he has handled it overall pretty well like um this was just the first time this year where i was like a little i don't know raised my eyebrow about it (laughs) i think it was mostly yeah that's interesting i mean i think forge like if we're gonna use that example um he reads as a pretty well-rounded character pretty quickly you know what i mean like his identity the same would go for danny moonstar i'd say the identity is not like here's our native american character you know what i mean yeah that's not not, uh, actually that's actually just a piece star yeah it's not john proud yeah john when john proudster shows up it's just like hey he's angry and he's native american and that's kind of all we know about him he's angry Um, because he's native american and or that he's mad at the white man (laughs) like yeah right yeah um but but forge like that's it's way more nuanced um you know i i think so i that's interesting to raise but i i actually would give a lot of credit to this run in particular to to be an example that people can again you can point to in 2020 you want to like you want to say they weren't you know introducing new characters of various races kind of um indiscriminately you know in in the ancient times of the 1980s (laughs) well they were right like this happened in x-men comics i mean i think you're forgetting dave that yes in, Please in, tell me what in May 2020, we are about to unveil two two brand new heroes called Safe Space and Snowflake. Uh, and uh, if that's not good representation, I don't know what is. You know, I got conflicted feelings on, uh, <laughs> on good old New Warriors number one because it's written by Daniel Kibblesmith, yeah. a writer who I typically quite like and has promoted Comic Book Herald in the past. So I got a little, I got a little skin in the game. That's all we need to know about. (laughs) Yeah, I got got a little cash under the table on my opinions there. Um, No, that's that's you know, it's embarrassing. That whole thing is embarrassing. Bad ideas are bad ideas. I think we can agree. You you know what the problem (laughs) is with all that, and we don't need to go down this rabbit hole a lot. So that's a lot of problems, but but Uh, Marvel just needs to one hundred percent ignore all of that criticism because it's clearly bad faith criticism and it's just one of these things because I, I was watching some, well, it's criticism uh, from it's the rare issue that that actually seems to bring people together where a majority of the comics internet left and right is saying we don't like this not for different reasons but oh that, a rare that agreement. yes that specifically yes no but i just mean like the uh the, the diversity thing like you know like here's a black spider-man and everyone you know loses their mind um it's just one of these things where marvel just needs to absolutely ignore all that criticism because I've been watching the Arrowverse and Arrowverse is just wildly diverse has like LGBT rep all over the place. And I think they yeah. just ignore it. Like they just don't care. People still scream about it on the internet and then they get no reaction from the CW over it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't cause as much of a hubbub because you just need to not take that seriously. It's so frustrating that like Marvel just feels like they need to react to all that and like, all right, well, well we're taking your feedback into careful consideration. when. It's- well, I mean, I don't, and this might be something for a variant cover to go into more detail, yeah. but I, I'm actually, I would be hard pressed to find examples where Marvel has actually given in to the the loud, um, you know, complaints of racists. Like, like you know, for example, like Miles Morales, Kamala Khan, these characters that are it, Riri Williams, even Ironheart is a, is a popular current example. Yeah. Um, it's not like those characters went away. It's not like Marvel was like, we're yeah, not going to no, I just, anymore. I guess I mean, like, they don't necessarily, I don't know, they don't take that big risk that often. <laughs> um, like, where's a trans person in Marvel? What's the biggest gay character in Marvel? You know, like... Iceman, Bobby Drake. Yeah, right, exactly. 
I mean, Iceman's pretty. Iceman is pretty. Yeah, he's very pretty. <laughs> I like agree. It. Whatever. First yeah, let, let's let's save all this. I'm actually going to cut all this out because I don't want to go down this and then end it right there. Um. Yeah. You know what? I'm gonna let me just edit all that I said about Forge because I think you're right, and I might be just kind of overreacting to things. Um. <clears> that's job. all I needed to hear. Good job, you can Dave. End the show. You talked me out of it. I think you're right. <laughs> okay. Alrighty. Uh, this has been my marvelous year. I've been Dave. He's uh, been Zach. 1984 is over. Thank God. He's also been. He's also been mostly wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, we're done with 1984. We're moving on to 1985. Next, a whole new year. A whole new year. Right. Mm-hmm. We're gonna read some Doctor Strange, <laughs> some Thor, and some Avengers and Iron Man up next, baby. And then in 1985, part four, Secret Wars two. Get your Secret <sighs> Wars party to? hats out. We're doing it. We're doing all nine issues. Um, music six, for my marvelous year. No, it's nine. Oh, there's only six listed on the on the spreadsheet. That's because it used to be. Oh um, no, it it's used on, to be split up between in, 84 and 85, but it's not anymore. No, it's an 86. <laughs> it's 7 through 9 or an 86. No, 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 no. Well, I'm looking at it right no, now. No, 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 no. You're mistaken. I moved all nine to the podcast uh, reading order, the podcast reading list. Oh, did you? Oops. Yep, for 85. Oops. That was my mistake. Used to be that way. All right. Well, I've got to fix that. So even more Secret Wars to read. Music for My Marvelous Years by Disaster Peace. Voices are done by Donnie Osmond and uh, Timothy Oliphant, believe it or not. And uh, faces that you can't see, but that watching. we can see on the videos, are done by um, Mark Hamill and uh, Harrison Ford. Oh, cool! Did you have you yeah. watched Deadwood? Yeah. Oh yeah, Timothy Oliphant is hilarious in yeah. that show. He is so funny. He's got such good comedic time. Underrated, he... underrated humor. Yeah, I need to. Uh, I need to do a Deadwood rewatch and watch the movie. I still. That's that's why I'm rewatching it so I can watch that movie. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thank you for listening. We appreciate. Your listenership and ears, in our ears, in in our our voices in your ears, babies. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our new sign off. We'll see you next year. See you next year. I really didn't know how to end that one. <laughs>